From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 6th. The Matheson Wetlands Preserve is a unique ecosystem in this desert valley, a marshy, riparian zone home to an estimated 200 species of birds, amphibians, and mammals. Moab's wetlands, or sloughs, as they're more commonly known, are co-managed by the Nature Conservancy and the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. For several months this spring, preserve manager Linda Whittem kept the gates closed because she noticed some major impacts from visitors doing things not cohesive with the intent of a nature preserve, like camping, littering, vandalism, and even starting a small fire. She's since reopened those gates, hopeful that visitors will be respectful of the area. Today in the news, reporter Nathan Wynn takes a walk with Linda. She gives us a tour of the area, its history, and her outlook on new and emerging challenges from visitation. I ran into a bobcat. I'd never seen one in my life. It was so exciting. Just it was walking this way, I was walking that way. We looked each other over <laughs> and it just took off. But for those few seconds, it was really exciting to see. There's a lot of wildlife out here. We get bears coming down from the mountains, down along uh, Mill Creek, fox, you know, raccoons, beaver. We actually, someone a few, a couple months back saw a river otter down by the water control structure. So that was exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people come here for the birding because we have, you know, over 200 species of birds. Oh, yeah. So birding is, um, uh, you know, a, a big activity here in the Matheson Preserve. We have, you know, a lot of uh, birds of prey that come through a lot of waterfowl. We get a lot of migratory songbirds. That's what you're hearing right now. All that chatter in the background. There's been, you know, kind of rare sightings. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was out here with a bird specialist from the Division of Wildlife, and we saw a shorebird, which I'd never seen out here before. And that was really exciting for us. The sandhill cranes. Sometimes we see sandhill cranes out here. Oh yeah. And sometimes you hear them more than you see them. They have a very interesting vocalization. <laughs> but that's a that's a treat. The reason the preserve is open to the public is that because it's such a unique area, it's a wetland and they're very rare. And also, there's just tremendous opportunity for wildlife viewing. And it's so close to the community. Decision was made to keep it open for the community so they could enjoy their own backyard. This is water, this is spring water that comes out of the Navajo sandstone uh, across the Highway 191 from Watercrest Spring, and then it's piped underneath the highway out to behind Holiday Inn Express. And we have a little diversion structure there, so the water can either flow through a channel out to the north end of the preserve, or it can go into this pipe, which is about a mile long. That's what they were installing last winter. And then this water, this pipe, 
conveys water out into the pond so that we can keep it full so that the fish are nice and happy in their habitat while they grow. And then what happens is um, this fall, after like three or so months of hanging out here safely away from predation, then we open up the gates and they go right back out into the river. This is our first time testing it out, so we're going to see how it goes. It's, uh, it's a big experiment, but it's going pretty well so far. I love it out here. This is just uh, my favorite part of the preserve now. It's really for the fish, but it's also for waterfowl, wildlife, and for people's enjoyment. We plan on somewhere around here, we'll be putting up a bird blind. Um, the one that burned down, we did not replace it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll establish it out here somewhere um, in the not too distant future so that people can come out and bird watch. We're a little bit concerned about the future um, of water availability for the Matheson Preserve. We've got a brine layer underneath um, the land here, and we're trying to understand what the situation with that is. Is it migrating? Is it going to affect water in the future? So there's just a lot of things we'd like to know so that we can better manage the water so that we don't withdraw too much out of the valley that would be devastating to the people who live here. We're attempting to try to keep the wetlands as wet as we can. As you probably know, the river doesn't flood like it used to historically, so we're, we don't have as much of a connection as we used to have, and we depend on water coming in from the LaSalle watershed. But the future of that water is uncertain with all the development taking place in the valley. Um, Kind of it's a complicated situation how much water do we have what are we talking about what is our water budget in the valley and there are a lot of really uh, motivated people a lot of partners who are seeking to get those answers so hopefully we'll be getting a handle on those things in the not too distant future but anything to do with water is complex very complex This had all been private property, um, mostly used for cattle grazing. So it was like ranch land, but a lot of it was not really able to be used for grazing because it was, you know, it's a wetland and it's connected to the river. I guess there was a big flood in the late 80s. And as the story goes, um, the property owners were really motivated to want to sell and the local people you know the community of Moab many members of the community reached out to the Nature Conservancy and said hey there's this place in Moab and we call it the Moab Sloughs that's always been the historic name of this area and um, because our mission is to protect and preserve the biodiversity you know the native plants and animals in the habitat. It was like this uh, community grassroots effort to get the conservancy interested in this area because the property was coming up for sale. And so there was letter writing and phone calling. So by the early 90s, our conservation director worked with all the different individual landowners to purchase 
um, the different properties. There are like 28 or 29, 890 acres. And we worked with the Division of Wildlife Resources to raise the money to buy the property to set it aside, to protect it, so it wouldn't get developed. 20-some years later, it's the only 900 acres in Moab that probably won't get developed. <laughs> been a little challenging the last couple three years. <laughs> Things have happened that are very discouraging. That's why we closed the gate for a while. On top of which, you know, we had the fire in early April. I think a lot of people felt like the fire was the reason for the closure. Is that the case or was that a trigger event for closing it? And then what was the reason for the reopening or the <laughs> or the decision that it was time to reopen. I closed the gate originally in late March because I was beginning to have to clean up tons and tons of beer cans and beer bottles and trash, fast food wrappers, uh, masks, all kinds of drug paraphernalia that people were just depositing around our parking lot area and along the trail system. There was vandalism. There was overnight camping. <laughs> Our parking lot became a staging area for trucks with large trailers hauling ATVs and razors and whatever and just parking throughout the <laughs> parking lot to go recreate down Cane Creek Boulevard. I, I imagine that's where they were going. So that people who were coming to visit the preserve could not find any parking. And we did not want to become overflow recreation parking. So we closed the gates for a while to regroup and try to figure out what to do because of this unbelievable surge in visitation and resource damage that was taking place. Then two weeks later, there was a fire. I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't intentional. <laughs> I think it was accidental, but who knows. The fire was on April 9th, and that just reinforced um, my decision to keep the preserve closed for the time being. It was only one acre that burned, but it burned down our bird blind, part of the boardwalk, and rendered part of the trail system unstable. One thing I do want to give a shout out to is uh, Forestry Fire and State Lands came in and volunteered to do the cleanup of the burn area. Wonderful crew. They were so sweet. That made me feel good about people again. I was <laughs> like, I was getting pretty, pretty upset with how people were treating the preserve. I didn't want to reopen until we had more regulatory signs in place because it seems like people need more signs telling them what they can't do. <laughs> because we've mostly just said, please. <laughs> My hope is that, you know, people will come and just really appreciate the natural values and take care of it, you know? Help us, help us so that we don't have to close the gates again. And I think we do have a lot of local community support here. So that just, that's just awesome. I'm really thrilled about that. 
Linda Whittem, Central Canyonlands Program Manager for the Nature Conservancy. Reporter Nathan Wynn collected this interview. Linda oversees the Matheson Wetlands Preserve, which is open to the public. However, a reminder that walking dogs, bike riding, camping, campfires, trailer parking, and littering is prohibited. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The Times Independent reports that it's time to mask up again in public spaces, regardless of your vaccinated status. Editor Doug McMurdo has more from their coverage this week. Well, what we're looking at is the Delta variant has uh, had an issue of uh, what they call breakthrough cases where people who were vaccinated, um, they catch it because it's highly transmissible. They don't really get uh, as sick as unvaccinated people. In fact, some of them don't even have any symptoms. So they're unknowingly going around spreading this disease unknowingly, like I said, because they're vaccinated. And I think vaccinated people, uh, the natural thing to do is to feel like you're safe and uh, from either getting it or spreading it. (laughs) Apparently that isn't the case. Mm. So the CDC and locals as well, the uh, uh, Moab Regional Hospital, uh, Dr. Dylan Cole, uh, they put out a uh, an open letter that uh, picks up a full-page ad on page B4 of this week's edition. So um, I, I want to be clear that vaccinated people are not getting as sick when they get it, but apparently they're still getting it. So they're recommending um, that people wear masks when they're out in public. Right. Uh, one today's a public hearing on the uh, truth and taxation that the city council held. There were a, a few dozen people there, and they were all masked up. So mm, Okay. Uh, one of those things that I think is important to highlight, like you said, um, it appears that of those who are vaccinated, they're avoiding severe disease, um, hospitalization, and death, which is really important to to remind everyone that the vaccine is still effective. I don't want to put pressure on anybody to, to get the vaccine. It feels ridiculous to even have to say that, but 99.9% of the hospitalizations uh, and the deaths are among the unvaccinated population. So the hospital, you said, put this ad in um, the Times Independent, um, hospital staff urging people to wear masks um, in public spaces and in indoor public spaces. Anything else to mention on, on this issue? Well, yeah, and the, the letter goes into a much more depth than, than just the, the need to continue wearing masks. Uh, Dr. Cole, he's the chief medical officer for uh, Moab Regional, and uh, he, he does a deep dive into uh, just what we're looking at with this variant. Well, where else do you want to take us, Doug? Uh, well, Andrea Brand, the uh, manager of Sand Flats Recreation, she uh, was not at the uh, final Grand County Commission meeting of July when they uh, declined to air uh, these OHB videos. Um, that would, uh, you know, show responsible use of off-highway vehicles and what to do, what not to do. And they voted against it in large part because of Commissioner uh, Sarah Stocks. She just doesn't want to um, promote that type of activity whatsoever mm. uh, here in the Moab area. Uh, there's plenty of activity to uh, uh, to promote, according to her. But Brand, uh, on uh, Tuesday night, uh, at the first meeting in, in August, she uh, implored the commissioner to uh, reconsider that decision. She sees the damage that OHVs can do, and she knows that these educational outreach efforts uh, help uh, mitigate that problem. So 
the council um, reversed itself. Everybody except for uh, uh, Ms. Stock voted to go ahead and air uh, a couple of, of these uh, videos that were in dispute a couple of weeks ago. So, hmm. so Andrea Brand, the director of Sand Flats Recreation Area, it sounds like she was able to um, convince the county commissioners to reinstate this video. Do we know where this video is, is going to run? It's going to run on the Channel 6. I think that's a public television channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's what they see when they're in their hotel rooms and motel rooms. Channel surfing, uh, that'll come up, and hopefully they'll sit and watch that and, and uh, get educated. And, you know, was Andrea able to convince them on, you know, the grounds that this is an educational video rather than a promotional video? Yeah, it's all about not uh, come to Moab and tear our stuff up. <laughs> it's... um come to Moab and respect our environment kind of thing. So it's something that tourists would see when they're already here. If if I'm remembering the conversation from two weeks ago correctly, and you did, you know, touch on this, Sarah Stock said, well, why are we um, featuring um, this type of recreational activity so much in this video when there are other activities that could be done on the landscape as well? Obviously, more information on this OHV video issue in this week's edition of the Times Independent. Doug, there's another article I'm hoping you can highlight about um, Highway 191. Yes, and actually it's just a photo with a caption because we have uh, written so much about um, Highway 191, a specific project that began uh, 17 months ago. Wow. Um, It's going to essentially end uh, today, Friday. all of the traffic control barriers are going to be gone. All the, you know, everything that's uh, in all all four lanes and the turn lane will be open uh, for good as of Friday. There will still be a little bit of work going on, but nothing to uh, impact traffic. So this uh, $20.5 million project that ended up costing $31 million mm. Um, is done. And congratulations to Kilgore Contracting, uh, the local builder uh, uh, who did that. And congratulations for the city for getting some much needed stormwater drain work done. And um, thanks to UDOT for, uh, for I think that's going to just really relieve traffic going to and coming from Arches. So uh, that's a quality of life improvement for everybody. So this is the expansion project, North Highway 191. Um, it's aimed to alleviate traffic congestion, and I certainly hope it does um, during the busy seasons. All of the indications are that it will. You know, when they first started removing um, all of the barrels to open it up during uh, you know busy, busy weekends, uh, it was just so different. You had all the lanes open and uh, right. traffic moved pretty smoothly, so I think it's going to work. Doug McMurdo, editor of the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Property taxes are increasing throughout our region. As Moab City considers implementing a new rate, the Moab Sun News reports these taxes have also increased in neighboring San Juan and Emory counties. Reporter Anastasia Huffam explains. It's a bit of a sobering reality that all these property taxes are increasing and potentially driving out people who have lived here for years who can't maybe can't afford where they live anymore. Kind of been a trend across the West and the, as people want to move to these beautiful places and recreate here, um, maybe those people who have a little bit more money and can afford, you know, a second luxury home, whereas a lot of people here 
they're like, hey, I can't afford that. <laughs> did you did you find out like why all these taxes were, were increasing in our region? Yeah, it's mainly because with so many people wanting to move here and so many people wanting to be in this area for the natural resources, for the fun places to recreate, and also because um, corporate like land that is owned by you know businesses that land has decreased in value mm-hmm. um that's just a tax commission like does kind of a review of um, all of our different kinds of property in the state um every once in a while and they just did theirs and they kind of realized like oh home value has gone up a lot but you know these uh, corporate assessed values have not gone up a lot so that just means that like corporations and businesses will be paying a lesser share of the property taxes than homeowners because homeowners are on the property that's more valuable right now you know you start this article by saying you know this is happening amid a growing housing crisis in our region why is that important to bring up in this in this conversation well it's important to bring up because like any of us who work in town um we are realizing that we're short staffed that we don't have people to work in these restaurants where a bunch of people come to eat on their way to Arches National Park, which means that we have a lot longer lines, which means that people aren't happy. And then but it, more importantly, it means that people who want to work here and give back economically, socially, personally to the city of Moab can't because they literally can't find a place to live. And in an article last week, I wrote that the city is potentially considering allowing workers to live in RVs on private land, which was previously not possible because we're experiencing such a housing crisis and such a shortage of options since developers, again, want to focus on those more lucrative luxury homes than building, you know, high density housing that would be suitable for housing a bunch of different employees. Um, So it's just important because this is happening in Crested Butte, Colorado. This is happening in Telluride, Colorado. It's happening in Montana, Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Wyoming specifically. It's It's a trend that if local governments, you know, aren't in federal governments, aren't able to get the help they need to provide housing for employees, it makes us wonder, like, will there be enough people, will there be any people who are in the lab to work? Exactly. And not just yeah. as a second home. Exactly. You know, I, I think of Park City um, Mayor Andy Bierman, who he was speaking at a, a public meeting years ago in um, Moab, and he was talking about how, you know, he doesn't have year round neighbors <laughs> anymore. Yeah. That really that really freaked me out how how much that community has changed and where Moab is on sort of that that precipice. Yeah, exactly. It's I think precipice is a great way to describe kind of where we are. It's just something to keep an eye on. And I hope that we can find a solution that, you know, temporary or permanent to keep people who actually want to contribute to Moab in like a really real way can actually be able to do that instead of just having to move along to the next place because we don't have any room. So Anastasia, before um, we go, you know, there you have been at the Moab Sun News for how long now? Uh, almost a year. It was last May, May of 2020. I had just finished my sophomore year at Yale University, and I knew that I did not want to go to Yale when we were going to have all of our classes online. Um, and I just knew that I wouldn't be able to focus with my learning style and that it just wouldn't be the same. So I decided to take some time off, took a year off. And basically what I did is I emailed every small newspaper across the West. So like from Taos, New Mexico to Homer, Alaska, I was looking for places who might be willing to take on an intern who was interested in journalism and interested in the West because I just love this region and its complex people and land and ideas. Ultimately settled on Moab just because of how much is going on here. I don't think a lot of people realize how much news there is in this region of Utah and this region of the country. You know, Mm -hmm. we have the Navajo just to our south. Um, We have the Bears Ears Monument controversy. We have a lot of public lands controversies. 
Um, there is so much interesting stuff to cover. So that's what I've been doing for the past year. But, um, you know, I want to go finish my degree. My parents definitely want me to finish my degree. So I will be heading back into my junior year at Yale um, this August. So I will be leaving on Monday, unfortunately. But I can't wait to come back and visit for forever hopefully do you have anything to share about you know your time at the mobs and news or any of the coverage that you were most proud of or most excited that you got to do yeah, I think the coverage that I was really most excited about getting to do was when I got in touch with people who are on the Navajo Nation, um, who, you know, just don't have cell service a lot of the time um, and don't have a lot of resources that we have and being able to shine a light on how they got through COVID, how they got through the presidential election in November, how they are currently getting through like Delta now. Um, it's mm-hmm. a really interesting and full of really interesting people who are the first people of this land and important to remember that, you know, they will know this land better than we ever will, especially um, when thinking about these monuments and how, you know, these huge federal players, you know, the Secretary of the Interior just came to Moab in March. And that's kind of crazy to think that, you know, the federal government is interested in this area um, at the scale that it is. So those are like really a lot of my favorite stories to do. I think one of the biggest things I learned is like everyone, you know, you'll hear people say all the time, local journalism is so important. But I think, a lot of people, you know, don't realize just how how important it is to have someone who goes and watches every single Moab City Council meeting, who mm-hmm. knows exactly what's going on in the Grand County Commission, who can tell you, you know, the updates on the Highway 191 highway widening <laughs> to already have to pay taxes on our property in the first time in 30 years. I would just say, read your newspaper. We have them in stands all over town, so make sure you read them and engage with them. The number of really passionate people we have covering news in this area is so cool, and we all need to not take it for granted because it's, it's, it's amazing. Anastasia Huffam, reporter for the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. Find all the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.